We've started to bring together lots of information from different sources across all of the different transport modes so that we can understand how the transport system is being used and to sort of unlock some of the intelligence. It really allows us to sort of be a bit more strategic about what it is that we need to do to sort of tackle the problems. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Our podcast. You just heard Anne Shaw, Executive Director at Transport for West Midlands, allude to the impact of geospatial technology to meet the challenges of public transportation. Ian Capel, Esri International Business Development Lead for Transportation in Europe, investigates how a major transportation organization manages its infrastructure and operations while serving the public more efficiently, especially as it prepared for the 2022 Commonwealth Games in the UK. Welcome, Anne, to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. Hi, Ian. Nice to see you. As Executive Director at Transport for West Midlands in the United Kingdom, you're taking on many significant issues involving infrastructure and public transportation systems that are relevant not just in the UK, but all over the world. For the past 24 months, you've been preparing the region's network for the 2022 Commonwealth Games. Uh, We want to explore all of that, plus some important work that you've been doing to help eliminate violence against women and girls on public transportation. But to begin, let me ask, what does the Transport for West Midlands actually do? What's its mission? And what are a couple important must-know facts for our audience about the organization and about yourself? Yeah, okay. So, uh, well, Transport for West Midlands is the regional transport authority here in the West Midlands in the UK. Uh, It's part of a bigger organisation, which is the Combined Authority. Uh, So we cover transport skills, housing, uh, regeneration and economy. Uh, So transport has a a real big part in that. So our our mission is to sort of set that transport direction. What are the things that we're responding to uh, in terms of the economy? How are we supporting people? Um, How are we making sure that we're uh, tackling some of the environmental challenges that we have as well? So particularly decarbonisation and air quality and so on. And then also making sure that we are uh, tackling some of the inequalities. Uh, So how does transport make sure that we're uh, ensuring that everybody is connected to opportunity, whether it's education, employment uh, or other things as well. So we set the policy. Um, We're also responsible for quite a large delivery of infrastructure improvements. Uh, So we're building new train stations. We're extending our tram system. Uh, We uh, do uh, pilots, things like scooters. Uh, We've got cycle hire schemes, all sorts of different things as well. And then we're also responsible for integrated ticketing Um, and uh, through smart technology and so on, Uh, as well as um, more recently, we've been responsible for some of what we call the key route network. These are the strategic roads that link um, all of our local places to motorway network uh, and making sure that we're managing congestion uh, and the network resilience around that as well. So we've got quite a broad uh, remit. Uh, And I suppose if you're wanting to know a couple of key facts about Transport for West Midlands, what I'm most proud of is probably our ability at innovation. So we're using new technologies, new mobility solutions uh, through data and technology, uh, looking at ways in which we can respond to some of the future mobility requirements that we have and the the challenges that we're facing. Uh, And also the smart ticketing stuff, we're leading on, um, particularly outside of London, 
which has a completely different setup and operation. Uh, the rest of the UK works slightly differently, uh, where we have uh, many different transport operators, many different transport and highway authorities. Uh, so how do we bring all of those partnerships together? And how do we make the transport system when there's so many different players work as one? Uh, uh, and our smart ticketing technology is probably one of the things that we're, we're leading on uh, around that as well. You're tackling quite a few challenges and uh, it's going to, it's going to take a lot to overcome them. One of your areas of expertise and in your past role has been focused on transportation network resilience. What is your perspective on how we can realize a resilient infrastructure and transformation networks and how do we get there? There's, there's quite a lot to network resilience. In fact, when I joined uh, Transport for West Midlands uh, some five years ago, I came as the director of network resilience and it, it was actually a new role that was created. Um, mainly to respond to some of the major infrastructure uh, investment that we were enjoying here in the West Midlands would be set to disrupt the whole of our transport system. So how do we keep the economy working? How do we keep people moving uh, whilst we've got so much of that disruption as well? So um, how do we get all of those different players to bring all of that information together so that we can manage that uh, collaboratively? So um, if you think about resilience in different ways as well, obviously we need to make our infrastructure resilient to things like climate change and um, how are we making sure within our capital investment that we're doing that. Um, and then also making sure that our services, so that interoperability between different modes, how we're making sure that those services are resilient and accessible. Uh, and then uh, aligned with that then is, is customer information. So that's a really important part of it. Um, so by supplying customers, uh, people who are using the transport system with all of the information that they need to make uh, you know, choices about how they travel and how to avoid disruption where it happens or you know if we have an incident on the network how to avoid that as well so all of the information and technologies that we're using around that are helping us to sort of build a resilient network both for the management of the network but then for the people who were trying to navigate around it as well speaking of disruption and resilience the pandemic has been hugely disruptive on so many levels before the COVID-19 lockdown, what did the region's daily transportation activity look like? What does it look like now, um, by contrast? And um, how has all this complicated the planning for the upcoming Commonwealth Games for 2022? Yeah, so the, the, the pandemic has definitely thrown up a few challenges, uh, I have to say. Um, we, we were on a, a bit of a mission before the pandemic to try and encourage more journeys through sustainable modes. So how could we increase our modal share with public transport, local journeys, walking and cycling, some more active travel uh, as part of that as well. Um, and we, we probably, um, I think we had about, oh, I'm just trying to think about what the stats were. It's been so difficult because things have changed so dramatically. Mm. Uh, but predominantly, we had quite a bit of congestion with the third most congested city in the UK. Um, so again, that's why we were on that mission to try to encourage uh, more sustainable ways of, uh, of traveling. Uh, and our public transport share, predominantly bus, um, uh, and then rail for some uh, more longer distance commuter journeys uh, and our tram network, which is uh, st still uh, a small part of, of our tr public transport offer. But since the pandemic, uh, we saw, obviously, uh, like every major city, we saw a massive decline in demand. Uh, and then that in itself threw up some challenges because we did need to keep our public transport system working. So our roads were very quiet. 
people were enjoying doing things locally as they were requested to do. Um, so cycling and walking became uh, locally became uh, uh, the norm. Uh, and that's again since changed as we've been coming out of the pandemic. Um, but we had to keep our bus uh, network working. We had to keep our rail network working uh, and our trans system working to make sure uh, particularly our key workers, people who were needing to get to hospitals uh, and to make sure our supermarkets were open and uh, the supply chains around that uh, were all available as well. We needed to make sure that we were supporting that and of course with social distancing uh, you still needed to run similar levels of service uh, for much less people uh, and what we discovered really as part of that was very easy to stop a lot of the services really hard to build it back up again and what we're seeing now growth uh, on the transport system has not returned to what it was before we're still seeing a reduced number of people traveling by public transport, a similar number of people traveling by private means, by car uh, and so on, but in completely different profiles as well. The usual morning and evening peaks, not necessarily there anymore, uh, much more demand throughout the whole day. And of course, going back to the question about Commonwealth Games, uh, of course, uh, that understanding of how the base network is working makes it really difficult to plan for what your base demand on top of uh, what your new demand will be around uh, over a million visitors coming to the West Midlands uh, and how we accommodate all of those journeys uh, as well. The pandemic has also changed the way people travel. What lessons are you taking from that? Throughout the pandemic, it was quite a, a catalyst for unlocking a lot of the data and intelligence that we needed. Um, so lots of questions coming from all sorts of people. How many people are using the bus? Where are they getting on the bus? Um, are we able to keep social distancing? Uh, and, you know, across all of those transport modes as well. Now, um, a lot of that data was actually locked away in uh, the operators uh, and we didn't necessarily have it available to us. Um, so the pandemic has really created a lot more collaboration where you know we're working in, in a deregulated uh, public transport market collaboration about information intelligence to allow us to sort of build up um, what it is that we need to know uh, and to look at uh, use that data and intelligence uh, to help us sort of plan uh, where we need to sort of change some of those services uh, as well. You, you determined that the network needed to expand requiring new investments and extensive coordination when did the organization realize this, that there was a need for greater large scale collaboration across so many different organizations? Yeah, well, I think we've always understood um, that we, you know, in order to do what we do, we need to work with so many different organizations. Again, it's just because we're working in that sort of deregulated market with different providers, different transport authorities and operators. The pandemic is sort of, I guess, it's a, it's a, it's a short-term blip in what we mm. need to plan for the long-term future. So we know our population is growing. We know the demand for housing uh, is increasing. The demand for employment um, is increasing, and therefore employment sites and so on. So we, we use all of that uh, sort of long-term forecasting to sort of help us to, to plan what all of our investments need to be. And again, with that sort of... Uh, inequality, uh, tackling inequalities and um, environmental uh, considerations, improving air quality, decarbonizing the transport system. So, uh, and also the constraint on space. Uh, so we know that we need to do things differently in the long-term future. And that allows us then to sort of build up what those uh, uh, infrastructure investments are uh, and to cater for that sort of mass transit or mass mass movement as well uh, as also trying to sort of try and think about well there are 
um, some ways in which you can manage demand differently. You know, the pandemic's taught us one thing is that we can all work from home uh, and that will help us manage the demand and um, change some of our business cases uh, around infrastructure investment. We've just been given quite a large uh, funding pot for the next five years to deliver quite a lot of infrastructure uh, and as, also to develop on uh, some of those other uh, investments that will need to continue beyond that time as well. So I imagine a big part of your task is bringing together these independent data silos. How is it helping you to integrate and organize data into a, a single authoritative source or a hub for all the different stakeholders? One of the things that I created, which uh, I think Ian, you've been to see um, through the Regional Transport Coordination Centre is where we've started to bring together lots of information from different sources uh, across all of the different transport modes, um, what our roads look like um, and uh, how our buses, trains and trams uh, are being used as well. Uh, and it's really important for us to sort of be able to sort of aggregate all of that data so that we can understand how the transport system is being used um, and to sort of unlock some of the intelligence. If we, if we do it in silos, then uh, we'll never come up with what the correct solution is. We'll only tackle one problem at a time, potentially creating another problem uh, elsewhere. So uh, working across all of those different organisations, collaborating and bringing together all the different data sources, it really allows us to sort of be a bit more strategic and a bit more intelligent about um, what it is that we need to do to sort of tackle the problems that we can, uh, the data is giving us the insights into as well. And, and that's been a really important part of uh, the work that we do. And again, as I, as I mentioned, you know, the pandemic has helped to unlock some of those silos and bring that information together and create those better partnership working. What are you seeing as... Um in terms of important outcomes of the use of location intelligence technology? So it, it allows us to, at a spatial level, understand where our demands are and where our hotspots are and uh, for all different things. So it's not just about congestion, it could be about uh, air quality uh, that transport can also respond to as well. Um, and understanding that geographically, spatially, um, helps us to sort of target the interventions and then overlaying a whole layer of other information about where are planned developments, uh, where is new housing going, what are, the, what are the agreed things that are coming forward. It just helps us to understand how we can sort of deal with corridors or ge different geographies in order to make sure uh, that there's a, a sort of coherent and joined up uh, solution development and then delivery uh, around those things as well. You mentioned in one of your talks that the data hub you created was designed as much for the public as it is for the different uh, stakeholders of the project. How, how does it support public engagement? We use the data in uh, a number of different ways. So uh, I mentioned the RTCC and at the beginning I said, you know, Transport for West Midlands is here to sort of help customers navigate the system as well. So we've created alongside the data that we use intelligently um, uh, customer channels in different ways, you know, through different social media uh, or other digital channels so that they've got real-time information at their fingertips. They can make choices about uh, what it is they're doing, where they're going, how they travel. Um, they can also be nudged into those more 
um, you know, sustainable behaviours uh, as well. Uh, so that's that's really important. And um, we want to make sure that the transport system is accessible uh, as part of that. So providing customers with as much information as possible about how to navigate uh, the system, how to access it, how to pay for it, and, uh, you know, all that sort of ticketing information as well. Um, that's really important for customers uh, to encourage them to use it. You're gathering data from the public as part of this work, as part of confronting the challenges. What kind of data are you gathering from the public sector? Yeah, so we, we've got, um, there's, there's information about people. So, um, so understanding uh, the different personas, what people's preferences are, uh, what insights we can gather about what might make them change behaviours, um, uh, and then uh, uh, displaying that in sort of different geographies as well. So, you know, you've got different populations in different parts of the region uh, who have different preferences and so on. So very different uh, picture dependent on where you are. Uh, and that helps you to target what your, um, your campaign may be or in, your intervention may be because you can understand uh, what might make people uh, do something differently. So there's, there's a whole range of that. We've been developing up those personas um, uh, with uh, national government uh, as well as a way of uh, actually doing things slightly differently. It, it also gives us insights about how we engage on uh, some of our investments. So, you know, we, we don't just go and build something, we consult with the communities we, uh, in terms of why we're doing what we're doing, how is this going to make uh, uh, things better for them? What do they like about it? What don't they like about it? Um, uh, and to, to sort of garner some either support or to change some of the designs to make sure that we're uh, meeting some of the requirements of the people that we're here to serve as well um, so all of that engagement intelligence on those corridors you know we spatially keep all of that for future reference when we go back and maybe doing something different in those locations uh, as well uh, and then of course the other data is actually operational information um, how it, how are things being used um, uh, what's the volume that we've got what, where are the congestion happening um, uh, and coming from a whole range of different sources as well so we've been deploying quite a lot of sensor technologies uh, out on the network as part of our innovation program uh, we've been partnering with our police local police force as well who have uh, ANPR uh, data and they supply us with anonymized data which helps us understand how the network's being used um, uh, and uh, we're also partnering with other organizations as well who are providing some location and spa uh, spatial information um, uh, as well as all of the different operators who are providing sort of customer information uh, including all of the timetables and the bus routes and all of those sorts of things as well and that really helps us operationally uh, in terms of understanding the the, the performance of the network um, but we don't just do it on a day by day so operationally tactically uh, the information is really helpful but we also collect and keep all of that information then use that for analysis purposes to look for trends um, uh, and then to help us sort of identify future solutions that we can sort of uh, tackle any specific problems that we're identifying and some of those can be really simple like adjusting traffic signals for example to keep a road flowing because the traffic patterns have changed or or, uh, you know, bigger whole-scale whole uh, improvements on our transport system uh, that is meeting what we're seeing as an increased demand in certain locations as well. Have there been any surprises or anything unexpected gleaned from this gold mine of, of, uh, of data that Transport for West Midlands has established? 
Well, I, I think the biggest surprise actually is that is the wealth of data that we actually have uh, mm. between all of the different organisations that we didn't really know existed. And a perfect example is, you know, the work that we've done with West Midlands Police on the ANPR camera. Um, you know, we, we knew that they had them. We didn't really share the information. It's all very sensitive in terms of the kind of information that they would collect because they're using it for, you know, managing crime uh, in, in, in locations. But sort of just working in partnership and discussing uh, how that information would help and then us then contributing and, and helping them to, to establish more uh, cameras on on the traffic network um, they've met an objective of increasing their estates so they they've got uh, the coverage for their policing purposes and we've got this on anonymized data back um, which is allowing us to understand how the network is being used vehicle type as well so we can take it down to that kind of level um, uh, and and um, that's really helping us understand uh, what the norms look like on the network and then we've you know we've done some uh, through our data scientists they've done some work to understand well can they tell us when it's not normal? Uh, so in a more real-time way uh, as well, um, uh, and that's that's really uh, helping us to understand uh, operationally how the network is working as well. So, so the surprise is is about the, the wealth of data, and then just by bringing the right people together from the different organisations, actually, how can you benefit each other by sharing? Uh, both your, you know, your intelligence about what needs to be done, uh, and uh, using data in different ways as well, uh, and and that's. Uh, not just supported us it supported the police uh, for for one one cost if you like uh, so that that's really good your work on with eliminating violence against women and girls on public transportation could you share with us the genesis of that important project so we, we were approached by the minister um, to look at how we can sort of tackle violence against women and girls in, in, in public transport because the home office here in the UK uh, has got a sort of bigger agenda uh, around this particular topic um, but in transport terms we we know uh, that the, the the sort of the fear of crime or antisocial behavior or uh, you know unwanted sexual attention and so on it really uh, is a barrier for some women um, so preventing them from using public transport and therefore preventing them from taking up opportunities, be they education or employment or, you know, just having, uh, you know, equality in their social lives as well. So that real barrier uh, and also uh, particularly for women who uh, have no other means of travel. So, uh, you know, they, they, they're not in, they don't own a car or something like that. They, they, they just are limited in the choices that they can make. Uh, and that means that then they're not contributing uh, as much as they should be in society and particularly in the workplace as well. So barriers uh, to employment. Um, but so, some of the, so, so it, it was, uh, the minister was asking us to help uh, uh, in, in this regard. And what is it that we could do uh, within the transport uh, space to try and tackle uh, this in particular? And some really interesting uh, insights that came out of that. And again, all relates back to data and information. Um, so how is data and information collected? And uh, it doesn't necessarily include data at gender level. So it's all very sort of, high level how do you how do you then take all the information that you've got and pull something specifically out uh, which is looking at a sort of gender issue uh, within the transport system uh, so th there's a number of recommendations around that as well uh, and then also it goes back to the question that you you asked me earlier was um 
all the different kinds of data sources that we've got uh, don't come together in one place. So you can't see um, the gender specific and sort of um, uh, the, the information all in one place uh, about uh, that can give you then the intelligence and the insights into uh, where the issues are that can then help you to target other interventions uh, as well. So, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's been a really interesting project uh, for us to work with the minister on um, and those recommendations have been uh, well received. And of course, we'll be, work we'll be checking in with government to make sure uh, that they are taking up those recommendations and supporting ways in which we can have better information uh, about um, violence against women and girls in our transport system. Thank you very much, Anne Shah. This has been a great discussion. Look forward to meeting you again. Yeah, thanks, Ian. And I really look forward to seeing you in the UK soon. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Anne Shaw for explaining how advanced analytics, including location intelligence and geospatial technology, are crucial to improving operations and resilience for transportation networks. If you like this episode, please share it with a colleague.